The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Then New Orleans to Sacramento and now here in Detroit. Four years, 14. Kuzma. Got it! Count it! Four-point opportunity. It's his night. Kyle Kuzma. A career high with that basket. It's 85-71. And he's got a four-point opportunity. He's got this crowd chanting Kuz. And justifiably so. He is absolutely on fire. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where just when it looked like the Lakers were in pure Lord of the Flies panic mode, coups came back, and the Lakers' young core have been bangarang, rufioing ever since. Tommy, Happy New Year. On a scale of lit to litty, where are you? Latazy. <laughs> what? I like I like Latazy. Uh, I thought you. I gave you the opportunity. I opened the door for show me the liddies, but Latazy is pretty good as well. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I gave you that opportunity. You chose not to seize it, but you know who did seize it. You know who seized the the liddies, Tommy? Kyle Kuzman. Cal Cal Kuzman did seize the liddies and the moment. Career-high 41 points for Kyle Kuzma last night against the, who do we play? The Detroit Pistons and the reboundless Blake Griffin. Lonzo Ball had an amazing game as well. Uh, we are here with our first episode in 2019. Can you believe it? It's amazing. 2019, no LeBron James, though, uh, thus far, but it may not matter. The kids are kind of all right. Home alone, but staying afloat. Uh, with that said, Tommy, how are you doing this new year? How's your new year currently going? By the way, I got your, you and Nicole's save the date. So, uh, you guys are looking pretty spiffy and very suave in your, um, it's not any, is it engagement photos? Uh, it, I, I guess it is. Yeah. Or pre-marriage save the date photos. Yeah. Either way, they look really good. You did it in downtown LA, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Everything's been good. Um, just, you know, 
getting ready to, uh, you know, the holidays were kind of positioned weird this year because it was like Christmas Eve was on a Monday and then Christmas was on a Tuesday. Did you have to work that week in between? I did not, fortunately enough. But it was just such a weird schedule. And then it's like same thing the following week is like, okay, New Year's Eve is a Monday and then New Year's Day is a Tuesday. But then I know a lot of people that had to work the Wednesday through Friday. I didn't have to go into the office, but uh, I don't know. It was just kind of weird how that – so I I don't know. I guess it, I, I felt super slow getting back into work uh, this past week, but – other than that, everything's uh, looking good. If those two holidays fall on a Wednesday next year, it's going to get even weirder. We'll see. Things are uh, weird. <laughs> things are weird. Uh, but hey, back to your save the date. Yes, Tommy is getting married, and I can make it, by the way, plus one for me. Um, I did have a question for you, though. Um, I'm not going to tell everybody when it's happening, but it's happening in the July month, and I just have to ask you, did you think about NBA free agency at all when planning your wedding, just to make sure that it happened maybe a little towards the end of July, so that you know if there are any big signings, maybe the dust has settled a little bit. Literally, I did not at all. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that's good. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, but anyways, yes, uh, I guess pre-congratulate Tommy somehow, some way uh, on that. Uh, but we have a lot of time to do that till that point. Um, Speaking of congratulations, congratulations to Kyle Kuzma on a career-high 41 points. That puts him ahead of D'Angelo Russell with regards to the most points scored by a young core Lakers draft pick in the last 10 years within this rebuild era. Um, So kudos to him. 16 of 24 shooting. Uh, This is the most by a Laker player in fewer than 30 minutes played in the shot clock era dating back to 1954-55 season. Kobe! Um, also, this was the most efficient output in the last decade in terms of points scored by a player without ISOs and or any post-ups. So very Clay Thompson-esque by Kyle Kuzma last night. Very efficient. And yeah, in three quarters. So that that's incredible. That's amazing. Obviously, we'll get into more of that in today's show. Before the la- before this week, pretty much, it, it looked a lot dimmer. Yeah, the opposite of lit, which is dim. Um, for the Lakers and, and the young core and the the projections on them, uh, specifically Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. Um, but since then, Kuzma has come back and allowed everyone to kind of snap back into their rightful roles and rightful places, giving Lonzo Ball another weapon to utilize on the court. And that seems to have, I think, cured a lot of ills and absolved a lot of sins for the Lakers. Um, but before we get into any specifics, in, in your opinion, What's been the change? Um, I think it all started, one, with the Dallas Mavericks game. Kuzma coming back is a huge part of that, but, you know, Luke Walton called out Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram to show more passion um, and intensity. And I I feel like for the Lakers, it was gut check time in that Dallas Mavericks game. Um, Before we get to your answer, though, I wanted to remind everyone to please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Um, please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more different types of uh, weird drinks besides water that LeBron, James, and Rajon Rondo will be holding in their hands as they coach and get lit from the bench. Uh, I think we already had LeBron James walking in with a wine of glass or glass of wine. Sorry, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> a glass of wine. Um, then we saw him and Rondo holding some hot coffee cups. What drink will they be holding next, Tommy? They will be holding margaritas. Oh, nice. 
I also thought about it would be cool if they were holding just fresh coconuts with a little umbrella sticking out. <laughs> uh, who knows? The possibilities are endless with your help of a rating and review, so please do that. I think we're at 296, so four off of 300. That'd be great if we could get to that soon. Um, also, if you feel like if you're in the giving spirit, you can help us out financially in any small way at patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Uh, so, Tommy, back to um, the beginning of my question. What changed for the Lakers from that very, very depressing Minnesota Timberwolves game and prior to that, the even more depressing New York Knicks game because that was a game that, by all accounts, the Lakers should have won regardless of how many injuries they had and they just fell flat. So yeah, in your opinion, how are you feeling about the Lakers' young core now? It's it's amazing what two games will do to will do for you, right? Um, yeah, in in however way you want to answer that, what changed? I think the big thing was effort, um, because it's you know we went through that stretch of games. You know, it's like LeBron went down, and we still continued to play really well against Golden State. And then we had a couple of games where we played okay, but we couldn't close. And then we had like a couple more games where it's just like from the beginning to end, it's it just there didn't really seem like we had a plan. And you know, Luke calling these guys out, I don't know, it's weird that it would take something like that, right? But Luke calling these guys out and suggesting that they weren't coming with passion and like enough intensity, which he was a hundred percent right has just completely changed both of them in like the last two games. And those two guys, I'm talking about Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, obviously those two guys being at the top of their game, or at least at the top of their intensity level is so, is so important for our team because if they're both playing at max intensity, they can really impact the games in like ways without necessarily needing to score the ball. Like you saw BI played over 30 minutes, I think in the game last night, but he just kind of stayed out of the way. He had five assists. He had only three turnovers, which for him is a good sign. He had, uh, when he's getting that many assists, he had, I think, like six rebounds or something, and he just didn't hold the ball too much and disrupt the flow. You know, and and you saw Alonzo Ball, too. He wasn't scoring the ball necessarily. He only scored five points. He only took six shots. But he was playing with so much intensity that he was creating insane looks for his teammates and he was just causing complete havoc on defense including as a 21 year old second year point guard in the nba just like bodying up blake griffin like 20 feet away from the basket and he was frankly he was holding his own um so it just you know the effort of those two guys really changes the uh the whole you know the whole the way that everybody else plays it's weird because they're two 21 year olds and we have a bunch of veterans and stuff, but they kind of set the tone for everybody. And when they come ready to play and they're sharing the ball and they're playing with intensity on defense and, you know, on both ends, then, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it raises the level of everybody else. I think. Yeah. Let me ask you, did you get some Byron Scott PTSD when Luke Walton talked about fire and passion and, Manning I up got mild <laughs> PTSD. I'm not gonna lie. Like I didn't. I don't think we ever talked about this because it was like this kind of unspoken thing that maybe nobody yeah. wanted to say. But I, I, we never really talked about it. I did. It did creep me out a little bit when I first saw the quote. <laughs> but he wasn't wrong. You know, like, he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. He. They really did. Like 
you know, you part of you wanted to be like, okay, well, how about just fix your coaching? You know yeah. what I mean? Or how about drop some plays for the half court? But it's like they didn't just learn a whole bunch of new half court plays, in the, you know, in one day. Like they had all these plays clearly, and for whatever reason, these guys weren't do like executing uh, properly during games. So. You know, not to say that we've been world beaters in the half court the last couple of games, but we've looked so much better. Like we're getting higher percentage shots, and we're uh, getting you know guys involved in different areas around the court. So, well, the other thing is that type of rhetoric is not rhetoric that Luke Walton has used very often. So I guess we can cut him some slack in, on that end in that regard. Um, and he's always spoken very highly of both Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. And this is, I think, this is the first time he really quote unquote called them out in the. Uh, to the media. So I think all of that was warranted. And, you know, we, we had talked about it on our message thread, the Minnesota game in particular, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, they looked listless out there. And I said, it's a problem, you know, all of the half court offensive problems, notwithstanding, it's a huge problem when guys like Svima Kailu and Mo Wagner and Lance Stevenson are showing more effort when they're on the court than the two guys you're counting on to lead the team in Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, right? Um, it kind of felt like their MO that game was, well, I'm going to see if I'm hot this game, and if I'm not and I'm turning the ball over and stuff, then I'm going to just lay down and die. And, and that, that's kind of how it felt on the court. So I'm glad Luke Walton actually called them out, and they responded in a big way against Dallas, probably one of the most impressive Lakers wins um, to date, just considering the circumstances of not having LeBron James um, playing their asses off in the first half and still being down, what, 13 points or so, and having the wherewithal to stick with the plan and stick with their intensity. And somehow, I think they held the Mavericks to like 30, 35 points in the second half and ended up winning that game pretty handily on the road against a very good um, Mavericks team or, or a, a good Mavericks the Mavericks play really well at home is what I'm trying to say so very impressive effort by the Lakers on that end and um, yeah no I agree with you in terms of what's been the biggest difference outside of the obvious Kyle Kuzma uh, being back so before we get into the specifics of um, Kyle Kuzma's performance Lonzo Ball's performance against the Detroit Pistons uh, I guess my next general question is what has Kyle Kuzma brought to the table just giving Lonzo Ball another competent NBA player to bend the defense with, I guess. Um, yeah. From on your end, outside of what may be considered obvious, yeah, what has Kyle Kuzma brought to the table since returning from his back injury, even though he started off very rusty uh, in the Dallas Mavericks game. I think that's actually a good game to point to in terms of assessing Kyle Kuzma's impact, right? Because he didn't have a good game, but yet he changed so much. Well, he changes so much just because he puts a lot of pressure on opposing defenses. Um, because he's such a versatile scorer. And, you know, he shot four for 20 in that uh, Dallas game, but he was missing. I mean, a lot of those were missed layups. He was having, you know, shots just spin right off, uh, right off at the rim when he was, you know, right next to the basket. So he got tapped on a few, like, gimmies. And, um, but what it does, though, is he's, he's such a versatile player. He's always a threat to score. So, you know, when he gets into the mid range, Big men have to commit to him, and he can create with passes. Um, he draws a lot of attention, you know. Then, thus taking attention off of guys like uh, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, who are a little—well, not a little bit—clearly less offensively uh, refined than Kuzma. Um, when they don't have that 
third, you know, they don't have that like go-to type score out there on the floor with them. Um, those two guys tend to struggle a lot more. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that don't necessarily, you know, like we always praise Lonzo for having all these things that he does that don't necessarily get reflected in the stat sheet. I think you can really say the same about Kuzma too, mm-hmm. um, in terms of how he opens up the offense. And I think that was an argument that I used for Kuzma with regards to his three-point shooting, even when it wasn't falling. You know, I, I know towards the beginning of the season, everybody was like, what does Kyle Kuzma bring to the table outside of scoring? And if he's not having a good scoring game, then what does he do? And for me, the argument for in my head was always, well, the defense is accounting for him. That's still gravity on the court, you know, and he's still taking the shots he should take. And the problem that the Lakers have had in his absence is, timidness right timidness from Lonzo Ball um Brandon Ingram maybe not so maybe timidness was not Brandon Ingram's problem but just having another safety valve or outlet I feel like when Kuzma was out the Lakers really had no other guy to go to no other go-to guy to rely upon maybe outside of KCP if he was hot so just bringing Kyle Kuzma back into play there I think really opened up Lonzo Ball's passing game and floor leadership game in general. And obviously for Brandon Ingram, just takes an immense amount of pressure off of him to, one, just space the floor a little better for him to do the drives that he likes to make. And in general, just just allows the defense to eye in less on him and more on Kuzma because Kuzma is almost like a one-man wrecking, wrecking show on offense because even regardless of whether or not the Lakers have uh, any offensive schemes in place and whether or not the half-court offense is completely stagnant, Kyle Kuzma by himself makes sure that it's not stagnant because he's the one who's running from baseline to baseline, curling off of screens. He's the one, you know, attacking closeouts. And I think that's the biggest thing the Lakers have missed, regardless of whether or not he's shooting well or whether he shot well. So, yeah, I agree with you on that end. Um, So very glad to have Kyle Kuzma back. Before we get into more of the Detroit Pistons game, um, the Lakers are... 23 and 19 currently, eighth place in the West. They are one game behind the San Antonio Spurs, who are currently uh, playing against the Oklahoma City Thunder at 24 and 18. Um, the teams behind them are the Jazz, the Utah Jazz, who they play Friday or today, depending on when you listen to this. The Jazz are 21 and 21. The Kings are 20 and 21. The Timberwolves are 20 and 21. The Pelicans are 20 and 22. So the West is still as bunched up as ever, whether it's from the top or the bottom. But the Lakers have held firm at that eighth spot. Um, they are four and six in their last ten. Um, but since uh, snapping that three-game losing streak, obviously they have won their last two. Um, they are 3-5 and five without LeBron James, but we can probably put an asterisk on a lot of those games. Um, they are 3-3 three and three when the core four play. So when Kuzma, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, and Lonzo Ball play, um, they are 3-3, three and three, which isn't bad at all. And if you want to put an asterisk on the Oklahoma City Thunder game, because Kyle Kuzma couldn't finish that entire game and they had played um, the Thunder pretty tightly till the end, then the Lakers are 3-2. and two. So, I mean, it's it's not looking bad at all considering where we were. Um, last Friday. Um, And the best part about all this is, regardless of how bad the Lakers' offense is and how low they are on the offensive net rating uh, in the league or offensive efficiency, um, the Lakers' defense has held strong and uh, really been the reason why they've had chances in games. Um, In their last 10 games, the Lakers are number one in defensive rating 
And overall, on the season, they are still number eight. So, again, credit to Luke Walton for getting the guys to buy in. And clearly, they have some sort of defensive scheme in place. And, you know, keep in mind, JaVale McGee, amidst this last 10 games, he's been sort of in and out and kind of trying to find his bearings again from whatever um, near pneumonia illness he had. So pretty impressive that in spite of that and how, how lackluster they've looked on offense, that the Lakers have held strong defensively. Um, anything to add on those quick stats on the team in general? No, just to uh, to say, I mean, you, you said we're the, we are the uh, number one in the last 10 defensive rating, but it, even in those games we were losing, we were really, really dominant uh, defensively in the half court. We were just giving up a lot of transition baskets because our offense was so bad. But if we continue to play like on offense as we played in the last two games, I feel pretty confident about the, the next three moving forward. Yep. And so looking at the young core's stats, the core four stats without LeBron James, Cal Kuzma in six games ha- is averaging 22 points, six rebounds, three assists um, on 42% shooting, only 27% from three. But again, he's hitting 2.2 a game, and that's really all that matters. Um, hitting 78% from the free throw line, which is great. Uh, Brandon Ingram is averaging 19 points, seven rebounds, four assists on 44% shooting, only 23% from three. But uh, obviously, that's not part of his game right now for whatever reason. Uh, I think he had five straight games of hitting at least one three, and then the last four, it's zero again. Uh, so hopefully, that's something they they work on with him. Uh, only 61% from the free throw line, but otherwise, those counting stats look pretty solid. Um, Lonzo Ball, I think out of all these guys, actually has some of the more impressive and flashy-looking stats in LeBron's absence. Uh, he He's averaging 12 points, 5.5 rebounds, 6.6 assists, 1.3 steals on 44% shooting, 43% from three, which is amazing, hitting 2.33s a game. I think for Lonzo Ball, those stats in a vacuum look amazing, but if you look at his game log, it's like one game, 20 points, next game, zero. <laughs> yeah, he's next so game, up and down. Yeah, next game, 17 points, next game, four. Man, you know, he has had some passes like in this entire stretch that LeBron's been out, but especially in the game yesterday. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that for sure. So, I mean, overall, though, Lonzo Ball has, in spite of the inconsistencies, played very well um, in LeBron's absence and obviously just took a little kick in the pants by Luke Walton to uh, really get him activated and engaged, especially in the last two. Um, Josh Hart, 11 points, 7.5 rebounds, which is really impressive. Three assists, actually, which I I like. Um, Getting some playmaking in there as well. Um, Two steals. Um, Bad percentages, but relatively good everywhere else. He had a poor game last game, but in that Dallas Mavericks game, Josh Hart had, I think, maybe his best game of the season, you know. Uh, incredible defense. Um, I forgot how many rebounds he had. He maybe had, what, uh, like 13 rebounds or so. Uh, helped lock Luka Doncic up. So, yeah, 14 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, and 5 steals for Josh Hart against the Mavericks. Um, in spite of his inconsistencies as well, he's brought it here and there for the Lakers in LeBron James' absence. Um so, with all that being said, the Detroit Pistons game. Let's talk about plays of the night, and I think probably one, two, and three. You know, we're going to talk about Kyle Kuzma uh, for good reason, but I think the plays of the night, probably one through three, all belong to Lonzo Ball. Wouldn't you agree? So let's start at the top <laughs> with the uh, blocked shot sequence. Um, him, him blocking the jump—I forgot what, who the jump shooter was— 
Anyways, he blocks a jump shooter's shot, uh, races down the other court, gets the ball, and just the way that he twisted his body to get this bounce pass across to a streaking KCP, and the stance that he had right as he released the ball was very... Like, he had so much style in that pass alone, you know? I mean, Lonzo makes these, like, ridiculous passes that I'm sure in his head he knows how it looks, but it it just looks so dynamic. And I told Alan this, but Lonzo Ball thrives on chaos, and he can make what starts off as looking very messy and chaotic into something very beautiful and artistic, almost like an abstract painter, right? So what were your thoughts on that incredible Lonzo Ball block bounce pass fast break to kcp well when i was watching it live the first thing i did was i laughed my ass off because lonzo blocks the shot right into jamel javel's face and it like destroys oh, right, javel's right. face and it just like the ball just smacks javel in the head so hard and then lonzo just grabs it and turns around and i freaking dude i mean i don't know we all saw it because the camera work was really good actually on on Spectrum, I, I don't love Spectrum all the time, but the, I will say the camera work can be pretty good. So the camera, like, zooms out a little bit, and you can see KCP, like, streaking down the floor. And you can see perhaps there is a way to make this pass, but there's, like, multiple defenders, and, like, Lonzo's on the run, and KCP's, like, in a full sprint. And it's, like, a very tight window. And in the only possible way to make the pass, Lonzo just, like you said, he, like, jumps and, like, weirdly, like, contorted himself and, like, put backspin on the ball and just, like, threw this insane bounce pass that bounced perfectly and then hit KCP right in the hands in stride. Yeah. For the for the layup, it was like one of the craziest in game passes. I've I don't I think I've seen at least in a long time. Didn't it look like a boy band dance move that he pulled? He pulled it did kind of. <laughs> Everybody do the Lonzo. Um, but to quote Tommy after that play, and I, I tweeted it out. He, he he messaged us and said, "I honestly thought my asshole was going to explode when Lonzo had that block and absurd assist to KCP." I think enough said with that one. Okay, number two highlight play. The no-look touch tap pass to JaVale McGee off of a pick and roll. Oh, that was so sick. That was one where when it happened, it happened so fast and you could it was just such a beautiful play. I like shouted. I, yeah. I'm normally not like yell I'm not one of those people. I'm a quiet observer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, if I'm somebody's there, maybe I'll talk <laughs> to them a little bit, but I don't like yell at the TV or anything and and uh and I exclaimed quite loudly when when he made that pass. Yeah, I mean, he knew what he wanted to do the entire play down when that pick and roll was developing, and he, he like, palm-tipped it, uh, which is even more... I mean, Lonzo does all of these super weird, quirky things that when he connects on them, they, they are spectacular. Uh, okay, number three, uh, kind of near the end of the game, the Aaron Rodgers touchdown pass to Michael Beasley where no dribbles were made. Or maybe Michael Beasley had one dribble into the dunk, but you know, one second was taken off the shot clock in that entire play. And I think the Pistons had scored off that basket and you know, yeah. half a second later, it's a Michael Beasley dunk. So, I mean, that's something we've been accustomed to, UCLA passing Lonzo, but your thoughts on that final pass to cap off his ridiculous highlight game of wheeling and dealing like honestly that one so i haven't actually watched highlights of the game i'm just going off purely off memory but i that one i kind of want to watch the highlight of again because it happens so fast 
I feel like the camera didn't even react quickly enough. You know, oh, yeah, I mean? yeah, because yeah. you're right. Because the other team, uh, the other team, the Pistons had just scored. I think they hit a three, and um, I think Lonzo took the ball out and threw it full court to Beasley. He did. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so Lonzo just grabs the ball. Everybody is like, because it was kind of close to that. Was it close to the end of a quarter? Or? It was in the fourth quarter before they took him out. Oh, before they took him out in the fourth. Okay. So, you know, it's, I think, I think Detroit came down and hit a three. And Lonzo, while everybody was just kind of like stagnant there for like a half a second, Lonzo just immediately took the ball out of the net, stepped out of bounds, and just launched a pass full court. It looks so absurd. I need to watch that again, dude. That that was a really that was an insane pass. Yeah. All of those three passes, I mentioned it on Twitter, but those three passes by Lonzo Ball are the types of plays that you see on a player's end of season highlight mixtape, right? And he did it all in one game. So I mean, I think that perfectly encapsulates who Lonzo Ball is. And I really enjoyed his game last night because it was a good bounce back. I guess when it comes to Lonzo Ball, when he's go when he's running hot and he scores a lot, then obviously he had a good game because he brings with him all of the supplementary miscellaneous steals, blocks, assists, rebounds that he typically does. Um, but it's really the games where he doesn't score a lot that I focus in on because the Minnesota game was an example of a game where he didn't score a lot. He didn't bring the energy, didn't bring any sort of intensity. And it was a terrible, terrible looking game. And if you had given that game tape to someone off the street, who's never watched basketball, they would be like, why does that guy play basketball? (laughs) You know? Um, But last night's game where Lonzo only scored, he only scored what? Five points. He only scored five points. He had a three and a, and he had a layup, yeah. And they were like within – it was like on back-to-back possessions. Right, and that was an example of the types of game we want to see Lonzo Ball have where in spite of his scoring, he's taking over the game. And you saw him take over, I think, maybe starting with the second quarter when they staggered him and B.I., and it was the Lonzo Ball Kuzma show for a little bit with the rest of the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of the five points, obviously he had five rebounds, 11 assists, two steals, one block. But he was everywhere on the court, defensively and then offensively. He was pushing Josh Hart to inbound the ball faster. I mean, it was a complete reversal from the Minnesota game and a, and a nice carryover from the Dallas Mavericks game, but in a different way because even though, again, his three-point shot wasn't falling or he wasn't scoring 20 points, his fingerprints were all over the game pretty much. And he dictated the tempo. He allowed Kyle Kuzma. He was a big reason why Kyle Kuzma shot 16 for 24 from the field, you know? Um, And especially considering Kyle Kuzma did not have his shot going in the first half. He was 0 for 4 from 3 after the first quarter. And you look at at the end of the first quarter, Kyle Kuzma's still shooting, what, like 7 for 11 or something. And that's all because he had very easy looks and buckets in transition from guys like Lonzo Ball. Um, and I think one thing that they changed up and allowed Lonzo Ball to do in the last two games is really allow him to initiate the offense a little bit more. And by initiate, I don't mean like just the typical passes he makes without dribbling the ball. They actually let him bring the ball up the court, you know, call for some pick and rolls and orchestrate the offense, throw some lobs, find a cutting Kakuzma on the baseline, um, and then do his normal stuff that he typically does on transition as well. You know, so I was really, really impressed by... Lonzo Ball's intensity, fight, what have you, but just also how he 
led the game um, last night. Was that last night? Was that the game where he had that nice crossover into the lefty layup? I think that was his other point, right? That he was drove his it into basket. the lane. Had, so that had, was insane. He had a pretty sick cross. He like split a double team and then had like a crossover and then put a lefty layup over Aldridge. That was sick, and the Lakers bench was like losing their effing minds. So I was, uh, as I was watching the highlights, this is an underrated aspect of last night's game. Uh, I was just observing Rajon Rondo and LeBron James' uh, reactions on the yeah, bench. Yeah, right? they were as going all this nuts, was... dude. So the first quarter, LeBron James and Rajon Rondo, for the most part, were just sitting down, you know. And um, in the first quarter, as well as the Lakers were playing because they couldn't hit a damn shot from the perimeter. They were somehow down, you know, and it felt like we should have been up eight at every single turn and moment of that game. Right. Um, but it was really the second quarter where we really, you know, uh, put our foot to the gas pedal and really took off from there. And when Lonzo Ball started making his passes and Kyle Kuzma started going off, um, the bounce pass in particular to KCP, that's where I saw LeBron James just stand up and he looked like he had seen a ghost pretty much. He was just <laughs> kind of like turning around and he was just it like, was I don't so know what funny. I just saw. And just thinking about who LeBron James is as a playmaker and as like a Magic Johnson-esque type player, out of all the people in that stadium, along with probably Rajon Rondo, of course, he would have appreciated that type of vision the most, you know, because those are the types of plays LeBron James has been making since he came out of high school, right? So, you know, just seeing moments like that was, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, dude, that was, it was, it was really awesome. Like Lonzo would do something and LeBron would just like stand up and just walk away (laughs) (laughs) because he was just like so amazed. And like LeBron does not do that for all of his teammates. You know what I mean? Like to do like LeBron is a great teammate. I'm not trying to say he's like Kobe Bryant level of, you know, seriousness and you have to hit 20 game winners in a row before he acknowledges you. He's not like that, but he's also not going to like, He's not like a rookie Mo Wagner or something over there on the bench. He's just going <laughs> to cheer whatever you do. Um, well, actually, I, I'd actually say he's more of a Mo Wagner type on the typical and on the norm. But the fact that his reactions were "I have no words" yeah, is, I think, true. what's different. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty funny to see him like totally speechless by these plays. And these guys, like I, I, somebody, we were talking about this earlier, but. You know, people, there's, there is a serious question at this point, and I know it's way too early that, to know this conclusively, but, you know, if Lonzo Ball is going to be able to get over his confidence issues. And I just feel like playing with LeBron and getting this, like, external validation from, like, these two elite players in LeBron and Rondo to be, like, going completely apeshit over the stuff we're doing on the court, that can only be, like, incredibly positive for Lonzo's confidence. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, it'll be a productive season for him regardless, just because of that. Agree. So Lonzo ball, just work on your free throw shooting. We're not going to talk about that. Um, but every other part of his game and really at the end of the day, it's just, we go back to it, right? The intensity and making his presence felt even when he's not hitting from the free throw line, which he just can't <laughs> so it doesn't matter um whether he's he's not hitting his three-point shot or he's getting his attempts at the rim you know blocked or swatted 
the fact that he can maintain his activity and that rabidness, you know, you, you see that when he gets a pep in his dribble and a pep in his step, he's a completely different player. And all of a sudden he is whizzing past guys and guys have no idea where this guy's going. And he's even more lethal because his passes are faster than how fast he's going on the court. So it really just incredible stuff from, from Lonzo Ball last night. And that's uh, that five point game is, is one that I want to kind of hang up like a poster on the wall for him. Um, Okay, so we'll cut right here, have a word from our sponsors, and when we get back, Kyle Kuzma. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it. And two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. Now, I personally haven't started this you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it, and they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair, and you shoot it over, and a licensed physician will review the information, and recommend the right treatment to you, and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, uh, plus now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on, what are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Okay, Kyle Kuzma, career high 41 points. Like I said, he has surpassed D'Angelo Russell as the Lakers' young core player in the last decade or so um, with the highest point total. Yeah, with the highest point total for any Laker drafted within the last six years of this rebuild era. Um, But the most impressive part about Kyle Kuzma's game is 16 for 24, super efficient. And, you know, people were belaboring the fact that, yes, Kyle Kuzma can't buy a three-point shot right now. He was 0 for 4, and I was like, oh, man, this guy's killing me because I've had... I've held out the longest in terms of saying, like, I'm not going to panic about this guy at all. His shot is pure. He has the mechanics. Shooter's going to shoot. Even in the Dallas Mavericks game when he was 4 for 20 and, you know, he was not hitting his three-point shot, he hit two very crucial ones when the Lakers were making their big run. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sucks that it's annoying that he can't hit wide-open threes. I think there are some stats out there that he has a very high percentage of open threes and he's just not hitting it. Um, but I tweeted it out. I said, Kakuzma's currently 0 for 4, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the night, he has at least two threes to his game, regardless of what that percentage is. And did he have two threes? Because by the end of the night, he was hitting four point, three point plays. <laughs> you know, that's how hot he was. And he scored 22 points in the third quarter. What a unique 41 point game very unlike James Harden, kind of more skewing in the realm of Klay Thompson, but even Klay Thompson doesn't get his points in this way because Klay Thompson's like bang out hot games are eight three-point games, or he makes eight three-pointers, right? Kyle Kuzma only made five, and what really helped stem the tide for his game the entire night was that super hot first quarter where he was the Lakers' best off-ball cutter, best catch-and-shoot player, maybe not necessarily from three, although he hit two in the the first half, I believe. And 
when he found the space, just the Lakers' best finisher in the paint with his floater package and knowing how to use the angles and all that stuff on the, the basketball glass to hit all these nifty shots. So with that said, what did you think of Kyle Kuzma's game last night? I actually was impressed by him just coming back against the Dallas Mavericks with a tight back and shooting his way into an effective game and then transitioning it into this career night. And I don't know if you want to touch upon your observation of the fact that it looked like something changed with his shot mechanics. Maybe he talked to someone on the bench, but here's your forum for just talking about Cal Kuzma, Kuzmamba, Kamakuzi. Kama, 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 Kuzmania. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that uh, song. Uh, yeah, Kyle Kuzma has been amazing uh, this whole season, but especially in, in his 41-point game, obviously. It's crazy to me because Kyle Kuzma has been averaging, I don't know, 18 points a game for most of the year on pretty efficient shooting numbers, despite shooting it so much more poorly from three-point range uh, than he did last year. And I always felt like last year, Kyle Kuzma's stroke from three was so pure. Like, there were no hitches. Like, we always used to say, like, it's crazy that we have a guy who's 6'9", who can curl around screens like Clay Thompson and catch and shoot. Um, because most guys who are that big don't have a release that's that quick or that smooth. Mm-hmm. But this season, and I at first, I remember thinking, like, during the preseason even, I remember thinking, man, Kyle Kuzma's shot looks... And I thought maybe it's because he added a lot of strength. I was like, his shot looks a lot more stiff. Like it, feel, it felt more like he was shot putting it and it was more of like a line drive. And I don't know, something about it just looked off from compared to how pure it was last year. Um, and I honestly, that's, I bring up, I bring, I brought up his high shooting numbers this year because I'm trying to say that despite this weird form, which I personally feel like he's had for most of the season until last night, um, He's he's still put up good numbers, but then last night you saw him start. I mean, he went to the bench. I think he was five for nine from the field, but he was five for five from two and over four from three. Yeah, after the first quarter, and his first shot when he came back in in the second quarter was a catch and shoot corner three, and he kind of hit it. He was like fading. He caught it. It was like a catch and shoot, and he was kind of fading a little bit. And when he hit it, he fell down into his own bench and then he stood up and he kind of like pointed at somebody on the bench and it almost made me feel like they, like somebody on the bench was talking to him about his form. I mean, Luke Walton kind of alluded to it after the game. He said that, you know, after Kuzma had the four for 20 game, the day after in practice, he got up 500 shots and Kuzma said something to the effect of like, he was in the gym working on like fine-tuning his his release and it wouldn't surprise me if somebody pointed that out to him after you know cutting together a bunch of tape and you know maybe he was in there with an assistant coach or like one of the player development guys and that's who he was pointing at you know one of the trainers or you know whoever and uh or maybe LeBron pointed it out to him you know who who knows but the point is it was kind of interesting to see that because I feel like after he hit that first three, his shot just looked so pure. And I mean, he went, he started the game 0 for 4 from three and he closed at 5 for 6. And he was hitting some tough, tough threes too. Yeah. 
So I, I just can't say enough about how good he looked. I mean, we haven't seen a player get that hot. You know, excluding superstar players, I, we have really not seen very much of that, you know, in, in the last uh, – since – since uh since we were a real contender so it was it was a really awesome game to see and and it it feels like he along with the rest you know he kind of reached a place that I'm not even sure if he realized he could get to um I know he's supremely confident but I, if you follow him on Instagram and stuff he was he tweeted like a picture of him in the game and his caption was like that was cool <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so it's like you know he kind of realize that he can get to that level now and it's and he knows how to get his his shots and and what are good shots and what aren't and which ones he can hit and i'm i'm very very interested to see if he can continue to that's the thing with young players right one one game doesn't mean anything in in either direction so we'll see if he can keep this up Let's just talk about his career arc a little bit because I think it's interesting to bring that up in light of him scoring 41 points because I feel like since he's entered the NBA, the perception on him by fans who never watched him in Utah or whatever has been, oh, this guy's just a pure scorer. Maybe that's all he can do. He's a go-to scorer. What about the little things? And it's just interesting to note that actually this is all new for Kyle Kuzma as well. It just took a lot of hard work to get to this point. And if you're worried about him maybe learning how to do other stuff besides scoring, that kind of was his role in high school, being recruited, uh, playing in Utah. He was that hard-nosed, grit-and-grind Larry Nance type, you know, who kind of just had to get rebounds, play defense, hustle, and whenever there was an opportunity, maybe hit a jump shot or two. You know what I mean? So it's just interesting to see the evolution of Kyle Kuzma's game and just the perception of it and how, in reality, I... I'm not concerned about Cal Kuzma maintaining perspective amidst all of this, you know, because he's never been highly recruited. He's never been the go-to guy like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram were, or maybe even how Josh Hart was, you know, Josh Hart was like hitting clutch shots in the finals of NCAA game, you know, and winning tournaments and whatnot with Villanova. Cal Kuzma kind of just had to pull himself up from his bootstraps and find a way to become whatever the heck this is. Like, don't forget (laughs) Kyle Kuzma told him that, all of his advisors told him that uh, he probably would be a late second round or undrafted. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's incredible, and I, I don't have any doubt that, yes, Kyle Kuzma has been focused on scoring, but keep in mind, this is new for the kid, and it's coming very easy to him. There is no doubt, in my mind, that eventually things will level out, as we've seen already this season with the added playmaking whenever he's gotten the opportunity. Um, so the sky is truly the limit for Kyle Kuzma. I wanted to ask you about just the thought, or I guess just the idea of how he got these 40, 41 points. And with regards to Kyle Kuzma, I think there's this notion that maybe from a casual observer's perspective, that when they watch Kyle Kuzma, that this off-ball cutting, catch-and-shoot, Clay Thompson-type player, because he's so good at these things, that that's just who he is. And maybe he's not the type of pound-the-rock Brandon Ingram isolation sort of player. And with that comes maybe he's not a good playmaker. Maybe he can't initiate off his own dribble, whether that's initiate for himself or playmake for himself, right? But I, I just want to make sure that people don't conflate the fact that he's so good at off-ball cutting and catch-and-shooting and the role that Luke Walton has put him in and this role that Luke Walton has put him in and 
conflate that with, oh, he's also not good at these other things. When I think in reality, it's just he's playing the part and role that he's been given to perfection. And he's not getting necessarily the opportunities that Brandon Ingram, LeBron James, even Lance Stevenson gets to run the offense. You know, that doesn't mean he can't do it. And I, I've posed the question to you. I wonder what Kyle Kuzma would be doing if he was on the Phoenix Suns and getting Devin Booker's usage, or if he was on the Utah Jazz and getting Donovan Mitchell's usage. Obviously, his efficiency would go down, no doubt, but he may be putting up some crazier counting stats, including seven rebounds, five assists a game. You know what I mean? Just because he's going to have the ball a lot more in his hands. And the fact, just the fact that he does not have to have the ball in his hands. And there's a whole nother aspect of his game with the ball in his hands, especially in the post, because he's shown himself to be a terrific post player, that he can attack from two different aspects. That he can get, he can average 25 points in two entirely different ways is amazing to me. So just your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I mean, he's an extremely versatile player. And that's one of the things that's so great about him. I mean, it's crazy to think that you know, we were starting the season thinking Kyle Kuzma might be our sixth man. You know what I mean? And he's like clearly our second best player after LeBron. Um, he's so gifted. He's so like he's. I don't know how this guy has developed this sort of game for himself because he played three years of college ball right at Utah, and he was not being asked to do these types of things that he's doing. You know what I mean? And he's doing so proficiently in the NBA. And I mean, he showed them in the, in the draft combine workouts. He showed them uh, in summer league. He showed them in preseason last year, all through the whole regular season last year. Same thing this year so far. It just, he keeps getting better. He he's getting uh, more confident, um, more alert and aware on offense, better body control. It just, when you say the sky's the limit, I really, I mean, I honestly agree with you. It, I, you could make the case that, I mean, it's not going to be, the coaches are not going to pick the bench for the all-star team for like another month, right? And I know this sounds crazy maybe to say now, but if LeBron didn't get hurt and, you know, we maybe got off to a slightly better start, you could make a very strong case for Kuzma, given how he's been trending in the last month or so. That, you know, by the end of the next month, he might be a very strong contender for an all-star position. Mm -hmm. um, just because he's had those types of games. I know, again, extreme and we're, we're homers and all and all that, obviously. But Kyle Kuzma is just, he's looked so good. I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, how he continues to develop. So I posed this question to you on our message thread, and I don't, want this to seem like we're indirectly or even directly knocking Brandon Ingram, but I said, I'm almost interested in seeing what would have happened if in this last recent stretch with LeBron out, if we had swapped Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma's places, um, and it was Kyle Kuzma having to run the show along with Lonzo Ball, and Brandon Ingram was out, how the Lakers team would have operated. Because I think even from the get-go in Summer League, when we saw Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma play, those two just have such synergy together. And I think it comes from not needing the ball um, as much, and Kyle Kuzma just being the perfect complement to whatever Lonzo Ball likes to do. But you you kind of said, well, we, we sort of saw that last night, because... Brandon Ingram, although he played 30 minutes, he played a very subdued in the background kind of game where, and credit to him for doing this, you know, and recognizing um, that 
Kyle Kuzma had it going, Lonzo Ball had it going, initiating the offense, and he just did what the team needed him to do, and we'll get to Brandon Ingram to end this show. But you, you mentioned, actually, we, we saw a glimpse of that last night in terms of Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball being the man. Um, so I guess just what, what are your thoughts on that? And I, I have to think that just because of the way that Kyle Kuzma plays, where he's relentless offensively, and not in the sort of relentlessness that Brandon Ingram has, where he's just going to force up some pretty bad mid-range jump shots or like force it into the paint. I feel like even when Kyle Kuzma misses, and again, this is not a knock on Brandon Ingram. They're just totally different players, right? And right now, the things that Ingram has been put into position to do just don't highlight his strengths right now. I feel like every shot for Kyle Kuzma is a good shot, if that makes sense. Obviously, there there are times when he ball hogs and maybe he should be looking for his other players and he misses wide open guys, but there's not really a shot Kyle Kuzma can't hit. So even when he misses, I'm like, uh, he'll make that the next time around, you know, kind of like his three-point shot. So just any any of your thoughts with regards to if Kuzma had been the one who was healthy, maybe we would have actually won. I think we would, I definitely think we would have won that Knicks game because we would not have only scored five points in the first seven minutes, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and again, I think it's important to emphasize uh, not a knock on Brandon Ingram because Kyle Kuzma is older than Brandon Ingram, and he's just, frankly, he's more developed at this stage. He's stronger than Ingram. He's a lot more refined with his skills than Ingram, and that's fine because Ingram's younger. Um, So, you know, I think on your question of, I wonder what we would have looked like with just Kuzma and Lonzo and now Ingram, I think you kind of got a taste of that yesterday because Ingram was being much... I mean, to his credit, he recognized who was hot and who was having great games, and he didn't try to get himself overly involved. So he was just kind of, like, not there, or, you know, like, he was he was kind of, like, deferring, and it made him, uh, it, it just made everything else, uh, it gave those other two guys, I should say, a chance to really work off of each other and get back to, like, some of that chemistry we saw throughout you know, at various points during last season. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah, that that one thing that you said about uh, this not being a knock on Ingram is, is what stood out to me from that statement. And I just want to make sure that that's emphasized because I still think Brandon Ingram is very good. He will continue to be very good. And he's going to thrive as we continue to realize and he continues to realize that he's most effective coming off of screens and attacking the basket without the ball in his hands, like catching the ball on the move while the defense is like out of position and make like on the run towards the basket. That's when Brandon Ingram is super lethal because he actually has really good body control in the paint and he's really crafty and he's gotten much, much better at using his length to finish around the basket. He's just not a high pick and roll you know, let me pound the ball type of guy yet. And that's fine. And he doesn't need to be at this stage. Um, and when he's not being for, uh, asked to do, do those things, he can just focus on things that he's good at, like using his length on defense, using his length to get rebounds, playmaking, playmaking, not necessarily like as a secondary creator, you know, catching the ball in the middle of an action and then making a play on the move um, and doing that kind of stuff. So. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. 
With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. And that's a good segue into Brandon Ingram. I think the key phrases that guys like Pete have been saying all over Twitter is, yeah, give Brandon Ingram the ball in secondary actions, even if it's literally to pass it to another to another player so that defenders switch their eyes to that guy and then he gets it back. That's a secondary action. You know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but just don't have him hold the ball from start to finish, you know, because then the defenses can just key in on him and Brandon Ingram looks a lot clunkier when he has to go up against a set defense. And whenever he calls that extra guy over for the pick and roll, he's not fast enough. He's not crafty enough to be able to one split that defense consistently enough or to just take it all the way more times than not. That's going to be a turnover. You know, you see him just leave his feet and then all all of a sudden he's trapped or as we've seen lately when he's attacking a set defense, even after those two guys come and he's able to beat them while the trees are still in there and he's been having a tougher time finishing, but when he's, so the keywords are secondary action. And then the other one is going downhill, right? Whenever Brandon Ingram gets the ball going downhill, he's far more effective. Anytime he has the defense kind of on their heels and they're kind of backpedaling, that's when he becomes super unique, or that's when he can use his uniqueness with his length and his long limbs and stuff to do that crazy, nice gather dribble that he does into the nice lefty finish lefty finishes. And then, extends his arm and all that stuff that defenses can't get to it's really when he goes up against the set defense and when he calls that extra defender over on the pick and roll that he gets himself into trouble and I'm pretty much just going to read what I wrote on Twitter verbatim but I, I said Brandon Ingram is a very good player when he can operate in a more simplified point a to point b bang bang situation where his intuition is allowed to kick in he's decisive and he can truly capitalize on his unique physical attributes and that's on loop to get him going in that way, you know, to make sure more often than not, he's not just pounding the rock by himself, looking for a mid-range jump shot to take, or asking for JaVale McGee to come over, and he now he has to deal with two defenders, you know? Um, I put out a video just assessing, because obviously the Dallas Mavericks game was his, after his disappointing effort against the Timberwolves, he had his the second most points he's had in his career with 29 points. Um, He had six assists as well and just controlled that entire game. Most of his points were coming off transition, two or three dribbles at most, and just finishing and driving it into the lane. Um, His playmaking was on display to guys like JaVale McGee in the paint. Um, But most of all, a lot of his shots were off of whether whether it was off a curl or whether he was cutting or whether he was getting the ball in transition. That's when he was really capitalizing and utilizing his length. And I was curious as to see I was curious to see what he did against the Golden State Warriors and what positions Luke Walton and the coaching staff put him in when he got his career high last year. Um, when he got 30, hung 32 on Golden State. And surprisingly, if you look at that highlight mix video and compare it to the Dallas Mavericks game, it looks eerily similar. There's just a lot more Brandon Ingram ISO one-on-one crazy crossover type stuff in the second half against the Golden State Warriors. But my observation in that game was he started that Golden State Warriors game off being assisted on four out of his first five buckets. I think he got a lob 
He got a transition layup. The jump shot, mid-range jump shots that he did get came off of screen curls. That's a way different mid-range jump shot than the ones that we've seen Brandon Ingram take where he's dribbling it eight seconds beforehand, you know? So four out of his first five buckets in that Golden State game where he scored 32 points were assisted off the catch and shoot. I was a handoff or a transition sort of play. And then from there, the only other ISO plays he had till he got hot in the second half were against clear mismatches when he'd bring Zaza Pachulia over and then he'd take advantage of that mismatch off his own dribble, you know? And I tweeted it, but by simplifying things for BI in the first half the way that they did against that Golden State Warriors team, by the second ta- by the second half, he had all the momentum and confidence to all of a sudden get a little frisky with his primary scoring skills, taking guys like Draymond Green, Jordan Bell, and Klay Thompson off the dribble in the, in, in the paint, and all of a sudden being able to finish over these guys, you know? I think just like any other player, Brandon Ingram thrives off confidence, and if you put him in a position to sink to start games by giving him the ball and giving him so much usage and not helping him out with that, that you're going to get the turnover heavy games and the bad mid-range jump shot games where if you had just started him off with a couple of lob plays, a couple of curls, a couple of cuts on the baseline to get, get his confidence going and have him see the ball go into the basket, well, you may have started to see the actual ISO Brandon Ingram KD type stuff in the second half, you know, because he thrives off confidence. And once you get that momentum going, yeah, that's when Brandon Ingram can become that sort of player. But he can't, that can't be the foundation of his game, which I think is where the Lakers have sort of been inconsistent about with regards to developing him. Um, I think too often this season, and I guess maybe in his development in totality, the Lakers have acted like that second half of Brandon Ingram's performance against Golden State where he's isoing guys off the dribble from the top of the key, that that's his true form when, in fact, I think that second half was merely a byproduct of how well they set him up to succeed from the get-go to start the game with four out of his five buckets assisted. And you saw that in the Dallas Mavericks game as well. So any thoughts, and we don't have to go too deeply you know, into development and all that stuff, but just thoughts on on that observation and, and what allows Brandon Ingram to thrive versus what doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and we've talked about this a lot, so I don't know that I, I'm going to need to beat a dead horse too much here, but I think the big things are right now, he is just not a super efficient. Let me create a, a shot, you know, on my own. He can do it, but that's just not his game. Um, He's still quite, quite weak. I think he weighs 190 or something, they always say, Um, which means that, you know, okay, since he was drafted, he's gained about 25 pounds because I think we drafted him at 165 or so. Um, But he still has a long way to go. I mean, we're talking about like 20 more pounds, which is probably going to take at least another two or three years, right? So he's got a long way to go with his body, and he's just not ready for that kind of role right now. And he needs to focus on just, I'm going to be the best at, you know, uh, defending my man and using my length to defend my man. And then other than that, I'm going to be causing chaos because I'm going to be catching the ball on the move and attacking the rim uh, and using my length to get easy buckets, you know, near the rim. And once, you know, you focus on that stuff, that doesn't mean you're never going to be a three-point shooter. You know what I mean? Look at Kawhi Leonard, who shot 
a good percentage, but a very low volume as a rookie from three. Not even just a rookie, is for several seasons until he got really, really confident, and then he started letting him fly. Uh, you've seen it with many guys over time. Like Ingram has a good stroke, he has a good looking jump shot, and eventually the range and all that stuff will come. He's a work in progress, and he's not a finished product, and he's still quite young and. Right now, it you know part of being a good player is just knowing what you're good at at the you know at the at the at any point in time. And right now, at this point in time, Ingram has certain strengths, and he needs to avoid his weaknesses. Yeah, and I think that also falls on the Lakers coaching staff to help him get to that point because up until yeah, up until this point, they've built him up and gassed him up to be the second coming of KD or to become LeBron's number two while skipping a few steps along the line. You know, we've been saying for a while now, why don't we just focus on making him the next Luau Dang first um, before we get to that Paul George Kawhi step? That's not to say we're capping him, but just if he focuses on this stuff first, which is kind of an indirect way of how they develop Paul George and Kawhi Leonard as defensive, hard-nosed type players who just did the little things correctly and methodically versus... All of a sudden, Brandon Ingram is supposed to be Kobe Bryant. I think that's all we've been trying to say, you know. And you know, everyone on Lakers Twitter has pretty pretty much beaten that dead horse. And what I liked the most about Brandon Ingram in the Detroit Pistons game was that he showed enough discernment to know that, oh, I only need to play make here and there. He had a couple of nifty drives off his own dribble, and he said, "That's enough for me." Kyle Kuzma's got it going. Lonzo Ball's got it going. I can just be this tertiary type of player tonight. And maybe the next game I'll blow up for 29 points if the opportunity presents itself. But too often the Lakers have acted like you're supposed to be the 29-point scorer every single night. And I think that's been detrimental to Brandon Ingram. And I think if they just scale back the expectation a little bit and kind of help lobotomize Brandon Ingram into who he should be in the short term, that that again, that's not to say he can't be an all-star or this type of high usage primary scorer type in the future but that right now what the team needs is for him to just be that all-around sort of Andre Iguodala type player right honestly if he turns to Andre Iguodala as his ceiling that's amazing um but I I feel like in the same way that Kobe Bryant when Dwight Howard came to the Lakers he called Dwight and said I need you to be my Tyson Chandler um, in, in a much more flowery way, LeBron James just needs to tell Brandon Ingram, I need you to be my Luau Deng. Um, later on down the road, you can be Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and whoever you want, but right now, I need Luau Deng because that's what would help the team the most in the short term, and you can do really well in that role. And again, that falls on the coaching staff to um, help aid Brandon Ingram in that quest because, again, he's still very frail. He's still only 21, and we've seen him excel and do things that not a lot of players can do when he's just given a little more assistance, you know? And uh, hopefully they can continue to do that and play him the way they have been in the Detroit Pistons game and then the Minnesota, sorry, not in Minnesota, the Dallas Mavericks game as well, where he becomes a 29-point scorer when that opportunity is open and the lanes are open. He's hitting a bunch of shots from, uh, or he's hitting a lot of transition buckets, um, finding a lot of seams in the paints, but not forcing it not forcing the pick and rolls, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's it on Brandon Ingram. I'm sure we'll talk more about development and how the Lakers have been allowing him to sink or swim and whatnot as the season progresses. But to end our show, Tommy, just really quickly, super cool, bees. your thoughts on the walking bucket 
the 6-8 version, 6-9 version of D'Angelo Russell and just what he means to the team. And this is the final key to the MUD puzzle, right? Where it's like, what can people really say now? Because all of our guys have contributed to at least two or three wins at this point in terms of the bad, quote unquote, bad signings. So Michael Beasley is like surprisingly has these skills that I just didn't know he had. Um, we all knew he could score. Okay. But first of all, I did not realize how gifted of a scorer this guy is. He's not just a, I thought, you know, it's funny. You don't watch guys that much and you kind of develop these ideas. And, and like, I criticize the outside media for doing this all the time. And I, you know, I, there's just not enough time in the day, right? But I always just kind of assumed Michael Beasley was a pound-the-ball Carmelo Anthony type of player. And maybe he has been on most teams, to be honest. Um, uh, but with us, he's shown such a, you know, ability, his ability to f- just catch the ball on the move and finish, you know, on the run or in the paint uh, around the basket with both hands He's so gifted. He he has a soft jumper, you know, soft touch on his jump shot from the outside. He's just, you know, a really, really solid player. But everybody kind of knew he, he could score, right? But I think the thing that's been most impressive to me has been his playmaking. Um, when he catches the ball in the mid post and he turns to face, like, he can make a lot of good passes, um, you saw him make passes on the pick and roll with Zubats. You saw him catch the ball uh, uh, off the pick and roll and, and kick it out to three point shooters. Um, you see him just catch the ball. Like there were periods where Detroit was playing a zone, and Beasley would just catch it in the middle and, and find somebody with a pass. Uh, his his playmaking is, I think, super underrated. Um, if you follow Cranjus on Twitter, Cranjus has been tweeting a lot about Beasley's playmaking and um, how underrated he thought it was when we made that signing. And um, Luke has cl- clearly recognized that Beasley has this ability. He mentioned it in an interview, I think, before the game yesterday or either before or after the game yesterday. And they've recognized it, and it seems like they're implementing more sets to get Beasley involved as a playmaker. And now you just hope when LeBron and other guys start to trickle back in, like Beasley, there's no reason Beasley should not still have a role on this team. Um, There are other guys you could cut the minutes. You know, we're always going to need the size. And uh, yeah, I think think there's definitely going to be minutes for Beasley. And um, and, uh, hopefully he continues to take advantage. Yeah, it's just fun to have this type of weapon just like hiding on your bench pretty much. It's like the Lakers found an extra 20 bucks off the street. And I mean, we kind of knew what Michael Beasley was going to bring to the table. It's just unfortunate that, you know, condolences to him and his family with what happened to his mother passing away, that he had to deal with this um, a very tough start to the season and we almost kind of forgot about him. But to bounce back... And I'm sure he's finding joy and some cathartic release playing basketball again. To bounce back in this way is nothing short of amazing. Uh, He turned 30 the other night, so happy birthday, Michael Beasley, 3-0. I mean, he is the true definition of a walking bucket. He, in four games without LeBron James, is averaging 12 points on 70% shooting. (laughs) So stupid. Um, And in very limited minutes, I mean, last night, what did he score in... 
in 18 minutes, he scored 19 points. You know, the, the game before that in Dallas, which he was the catalyst to extending that Lakers lead, 13 points in nine minutes. It's uh, just Minnesota, so insane. 11 points in only 20 minutes. And, you know, when you can go to the bench and you have a walking mismatch for the other team, it it's amazing. You know, I mean, his, his jump shot is so just, weird. It's super flat and he shoots like a dolphin coming out of the water. I don't does. know. I don't care. It goes in. But it, it goes in and he does it so effortlessly with so, so much ease. I call him so D'Angelo Russell ease, because it feels like he's not trying and the ball just keeps going in. You know? I know. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, I could... You just really could see, like, this guy was the number two pick for a reason, right? Like, he's really, really, really skilled. Um, yes. It just, it's just like, for whatever reason, he just didn't end up being what everybody maybe thought he could be as the number two pick. Maybe his, he, his head wasn't always in the right place over the course of his career, but that doesn't mean he lost those skills. He's still an extremely, extremely skilled player. And uh, there's definitely a role for somebody like that on your team and not to play 20 minutes a game or, you know, even 15 minutes a game. But it's kind of cool to know we have this guy. We could play maybe 10 minutes a game. And in 10 minutes, you can reasonably expect him to average six or eight points, you know, six, seven points, maybe on average. And that's like an absurd number, right? Like you think about like Lou Williams and what he does mm-hmm. coming off the bench for the the Clippers and it's just kind of a more condensed version of that. Like we're not going to play him huge minutes because we don't want to say we have other guys who we need to get minutes to namely like Kuzma and LeBron, but uh, in short bursts, he can come in and and really give a, a nice scoring punch to our bench, especially when we go to like Ingram and Lance and, those guys together in the second unit or like, I, I think Cran just says that Cran just made an argument for um, why he thinks uh, Beasley, Josh Hart and Lance all, would all be a really nice spark together on the second unit. So there's different kinds of uh, lineups we could run with Beasley, but I, he's going to end up being a really valuable player. There was a period where I was like, maybe we just need to cut this guy, but I'm, I'm really glad we have kept held on to him and, I think he's going to be incredibly valuable to us moving moving down the uh, stretch here. Yeah, there's no way you can cut Super Cool Bees because he also has that KD connection. They are childhood best friends, and I have no doubt that they factored that into the equation with regards to signing him, just like they factored into the equation that Rajon Rondo and Anthony Davis are pretty good buds, and they played well together. And you can bet that these guys are giving all the right intel to guys like KD and AD should they ask. Um, Also, Michael Beasley, not too bad on defense as well. What a pleasant surprise. Uh, With that said, we have run super long. Um, Thank you guys for listening. As usual, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and interview us on iTunes, the more Lonzo Ball, giddy, double, jumpy high fives we'll get from him. I think that was the most D'Angelo Russell I've ever seen Lonzo Ball look in terms of that silly little jump high five to uh, LeBron James on one end, and then I don't know who he was high fiving on the other end, but it was pretty funny. Um, So yeah, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Lakers play the Utah Jazz. Kyle Kuzma obviously is going to have a huge game. Utah Jazz very injured. It's on the road, but uh, Kyle Kuzma always shows up, especially against his best friend, Donovan Mitchell, or one of his best friends, and obviously he played at Utah, so should be a good game. Um, hopefully this is evergreen enough for everyone to enjoy over the weekend as well. With that said, we will catch you guys later. Tommy, Happy New Year. Happy 2019. Happy New Year. It's Lydius? Is that what you said? 
I can't remember what I said now. <laughs> I forgot what you said, but show me the liddies. Okay. Uh, catch you later. Later. Peace. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious, ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.